Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today our passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 34 through 45. I'll read our passage, and then we can dig into it. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she claimed, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So a really great section of verses here. We have the... um, first encounter of Mary and Elizabeth, since now both are aware that they are going to have children um, by the power of God, which we know all of our children come through that process, but there is a special activity of the Spirit here in this specific instance. So let's start at the very beginning, verse 34. Mary is still talking to to Gabriel here, and she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Gabriel's just given her the message that she is going to have a child. She's pretty confused, though. She doesn't have a husband. She has never uh, had sexual relations with a man. The The word in the ESV, they, they say virgin. The literal Greek is I do not know a man, which to know um, comes from the Old Testament, yada. And that's the phrase often used, you know, Adam knew his wife. Uh, anytime you have the understanding that there's sexual relations going on, the, the word to know is being used. And that's the same thing that Luke's doing here. He's saying Mary has not known a man. So she responds like any other human would when faced with something like this. Um, we kind of ask ourselves a similar question, have the same disposition. When we read biblical accounts, you know, such as the sacrifice of Isaac, you know, you you read that and you're kind of asking yourself, is, is God actually commanding Abraham to do something that violates God's own rules? You know, something like that might be going through Mary, and that's what's seen in her response. It's it's not a response of unbelief like Zechariah had earlier in why Gabriel responds by muting him. Rather, her response shows something uh, more similar to our response when we're considering, hey, is, is God doing something here that contradicts who I know God to be? Mary, in, in some ways, is saying, is is God going to ask me to have sex with someone I'm not married to? 
Um, it's, you know, how is this supposed to happen since I do not know a man? And, and that's why Gabriel responds in a different way than he responds to Zechariah. Instead, Gabriel responds uh, peacefully, patiently, explaining to her what's about to happen. His response comes with three substantives, uh, the Holy Spirit, power of the Most High, and Son of God. And depending on how you, you know, parse this out, I guess, the power of the Most High may stand in opposition opposition to the Holy Spirit, which just means it's kind of explaining. It's giving some explanatory power to what the Holy Spirit is. What is the Holy Spirit? It's power of the Most High. Or this could be more of a, um, a glimpse of the Trinity. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the Most High, God, Yahweh, and we have the Son of God. So it's a cool way to look at it. The word used here for, um, well, in, in some versions it's different. Here in the ESV it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Uh, the um, when the power of Most High will overshadow you. That's probably the one that most people um, are somewhat confused, intrigued by, which sparks a lot of debate because it's, well, how does uh, the impregnation of, of Mary actually occur? How does she become pregnant? How is God involved in this? And there's been some pretty crazy debates around that. Um, but if we look at these words and how they're used, we get uh, an indication of what God means, specifically with the word for overshadow. It's the same Greek word used in the Septuagint to describe what God does with the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. This is the same presence, the same cloud that has been leading the Israelites through the wilderness, you know, a cloud by day, a fire by night. Well, that cloud, once the tabernacle has been completed, comes over, overshadows the tabernacle, and God's presence comes to the tabernacle, now dwells in the tabernacle. So it's really the first, you know, um, time we have the Holy Spirit coming into a person, um, which is, you know, kind of foreshadowing what it's going to do under the new covenant. God indwells his people and allows us to do miraculous things in his name. Uh, that's what's happening here with Mary for the first time. So that overshadowing there is the same kind of thing that's happening in Exodus chapter 40. Luke, again, is going to use the word in chapter 9 of this book when he um, comments, tells us about the transfiguration of Christ. So if you remember, Christ goes up on this mountaintop with Peter, James, and John. Um, God's presence overshadows them. It's the same exact word being used there. And, and it's this blessing. It's this recognition. It's not only preparing Jesus and recognizing Jesus for who he is, but it is preparing the uh, those three apostles for their upcoming ministry as well. They're going to witness Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus on that mount. It's going to be this great, fascinating, almost de debilitating scene. You know, the apostles don't know how to respond. Um, and, and so we, we see what God's overshadowing presence can do. It's always something magnificent. It's always something that is in some ways indicative of of a new creation, of a new thing happening. And uh, that's what we have here as well. So overall, there really is just this special potency of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's seen throughout this whole first chapter. Uh, first, it comes to Mary. It, it gives her life 
in, in a way that life has never come to a woman before. It moves John in utero. He's only six months old at this point. He is a, a very small fetus in the womb, and he's moved. That in turn moves Elizabeth to bless Mary in the way that she does. The Holy Spirit is what's going to carry that, that Benedictus uh, from Zechariah later on in this chapter. So the, as far as, you know, activity of the Holy Spirit, it, which is prevalent in the book of Luke and in Acts, you know, the Holy Spirit's doing everything almost in those two in these two books. Uh, but here is it, it starts our, our story out. It starts the gospel message out in a very potent way. The Holy Spirit is over every member of this family. And, and with a note on that, I know we often try to use this uh, Greek word, uh, syngenesis, to say that uh, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, but that's not necessarily true. It more literally means just someone of the same tribe or clan or people. So it's kind of a stretch to say that uh, Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. It's probably not a wrong thing to say. You know, maybe there's a pretty good indication the fact that Mary does come to Elizabeth uh, at this point in her life. You know, maybe they are pretty close family, but just based on the word, we can't really say that they were cousins, I guess, as many people say. And maybe one last thing to, to, to make mention of. This is definitely uh, a set of scriptures that shows Mary's importance, that definitely highlight Mary as a unique and, and special individual and it's one that the Catholic Church uh, often uses to, um, you know, talk about her eminence. Um, it's it's difficult to really pull that from from the Scripture if you're if you're looking at the Greek. There's throughout this whole blessing of Mary by Elizabeth. There's undoubtable, you know, significance, importance, focus on what Mary has in her. It's not really about who Mary is. Uh, she's blessed because of these things that are happening to her, because she believed what the Lord was going to do, because of what is in her womb. That's kind of where all the focus goes to, and that's, that can kind of be seen in the Greek as well. So, yes, Mary is an important individual, uh, but to venerate her to a, a position above other people um, is, is maybe a slightly uncalled for. Um, we have similar language used of John the Baptist. Um, Jesus will, will say that John the Baptist, you know, is the you know, greatest man who's ever lived, <laughs> you know, however Jesus says that. And we don't venerate John the Baptist in the same way. John the Baptist played a very key role in, um, you know, kind of straightening the path for Jesus to come. And, and we don't venerate John the Baptist like we do with Mary. Um, but Mary here does play a, a key, a vital role. It does make sense. You know, we can kind of see, uh, maybe if we ask ourselves a question, well, why did, why did Jesus have to come through Mary and maybe not someone like Elizabeth? Elizabeth was married. She was not only married, she was married to a Levite. She was married to a Levite who um, has a, 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 you know, a solid job, I guess we could say. They're in a higher economic status. Mary is single, is low on the economic pole, um, does not have the things, the status that Elizabeth does, is not part of the priestly tribe, but yet Mary is chosen. 
Um, and it's one of those great reversals that you read throughout Scripture where God just does things and chooses people you just wouldn't expect. It's not about status. It's not about wealth with God. It's about a humble spirit. The fact that Mary can respond to Gabriel by saying, uh, I am the Lord's servant. Well, remember that that servant can also be translated as slave, and it's probably best translated as slave here in this context. It's doule, which in most places is going to be translated as slave. She's saying, I'm a slave of the Lord. Whatever he says is going to happen, let it happen. Let it be according to his word. And, and, and that's the kind of attitude she has, and it's our first real great example in the gospel message of someone fully submitting to God and Jesus as king, letting them have whatever they want. And, and, and that's the way that a slave should, ask, should, should act with their master. And that's uh, one way I think we as Christians really fail. We fail to recognize Jesus as king. He has such a significant authority over our lives. It doesn't matter what culture is telling us to do. It doesn't matter what a political party is advising us to do. Jesus is the king. Let him have his way. Let it be, as Mary says. That needs to always be our response to God's will. I pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbors in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.